0: Trash pandas, friends, and holiday goers. Welcome to Trashy Divorces.
1: Hey everyone, my name is Stacy, and this week we have something a little different.
0: We are bringing you something a little different. I figured we'd go to the lighter side of some trash after last week's particularly dark episode. Many of you will be taking your own hero or heroine's journey this particular holiday season. In whatever adventure may befall you, Stacey, I, you and I got to sit down not too long ago with one of our favorite friends here around the podcast.
1: Yes, Andy Bellotti from Astrology with Andy, who walked us through sort of an astrological interpretation of the narrative structure
0: known as the hero's journey. And we're covering that in part two of this episode. Part one, I break down sort of the literary framework of that. So you've got a good grounding, something a little lighter, something a little bit more fun for everyone today. We are going to be back this weekend with a regular, very, very trashy divorces episode for you. This one gets
1: dastardly too. I'm I'm excited. I'm working on it now. It's good.
0: Until then, friends, from us here at Trashy Divorces Headquarters to you. Have a trashy Thanksgiving. Enjoy your weekend whatever it entails. We can't wait to see you back this weekend.
1: We hope that you enjoy our bonus conversation with Andy Bellotti.
0: and if we're going to get on that stairway to heaven, we better go, go, go.
1: Alicia, you've been really into story structure lately. Very like, much. Just like the mechanics of
0: stories. I have been.
1: And then you had this idea
0: taken from our friend, Andy Bilotti from Astrology with Andy. He has a fantastic way that he wants to relate astrology to the hero's journey. And so I wanted to do just a little primer on what the hero's journey is as a literary concept, as a framework, before we hear from Andy. Okay. That sounds good. It's a very famous. Very famous, um, very famous. So, I mean,
1: if you've seen Star Wars or The Hobbit or any of that,
0: you you got it. If you've been a human on Earth, you know the hero's journey. Yeah. So the hero's journey was defined by Joseph Campbell, and he really was able to framework it into the nomenclature. But a lot of other folks tried to take a stab at doing it, including psychologist Otto Rank and Lord Raglan, amateur anthropologist, just to name a few.
1: Aren't we all amateur anthropologists at heart?
0: The arc of the hero's journey, like I say, has been around forever. It's every story ever told. It is part of our DNA. There's something very universal about it. It appears in every story carried throughout time. Essentially, it's the story of our hero who goes on an adventure, is victorious in a crisis, and comes home changed. That's the simple bit. This hero's journey happens in literature and fables and myths across all times and places in our world, always almost told exactly the same way. The names, the settings change, the groups of people across the world who would have never had any interaction with each Mm -hmm. other, all telling the same stories.
1: Which is effectively why Campbell's most famous book is called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, correct?
0: Correct. I did use that in order to get this, even though we're going to kind of stay away a little bit from Campbell just for a second. The story is always the same. However, Joseph Campbell has come under a little fire with his hero with a thousand faces and his hero's journey because it is very gender specific. It's the hero's journey is about men Mm -hmm. being the hero and battling the crisis and coming home changed. And Joseph Campbell's like, listen, these stories were not written about women. There are no the history, his story, not her story. He's like, I wish I could make this more feminine and gender, y'all, but it's just not in the canon. I can't work with what isn't there. Maureen Murdoch will do her part by authoring a book called The Heroine's Journey. It is an excellent resource which restructures. The Hero's Journey into the Framework of the Feminine, really interesting reading if you're inclined. Two, I would recommend. First, Hero with a Thousand Faces. The next, The Heroine's Journey by Maureen Murdoch. All of that aside, we're going to talk today about The Hero's Journey, just a quick overview and what it is. There's always three stages in The Hero's Journey. The Components of each of those stages do differ by who is defining the framework. Joseph Campbell has 17 of these individual phases. I am using Volger's 12-step framework here to go through the cycle. It's a little bit more gender-friendly and neutral as different than Murdoch or Campbell. But you're still going to get the drift. What are high-level those Three parts of how the journey is divided. First, the departure. Second, initiation. The last part is the return. So this is very similar to the three-act structure in screenwriting and storytelling. There's the setup, the confrontation, and the resolution. The three-act structure, though, focuses on plot points. The hero's journey, a little bit different Its focus is the stages the hero goes through. Again, we're going to work with the vulgar framework here. In the first segment of the journey, the departure, the following stages are included. We're going to break all these down in further detail, just giving you a high level. The ordinary world, the call to adventure, the refusal of the call, Meeting with the mentor, crossing the threshold into the special world.
1: Yes, the mentor being Obi-Wan Kenobi and Gandalf.
0: And Gandalf, that's exactly right. So the departure contains these five steps. First, the ordinary world. The hero is introduced in their normal setting. Hero is nobody special. He... Just living a normal, everyday, sad, boring life. Sure. Luke, Luke Skywalker on his dumb water farm or whatever. Say, yeah. You want the reader to sympathize and identify with the hero who's, you know, just kind of a big loser. Yeah. Just living his life like not anybody special.
1: Want to go race landers or
0: speeder, speeders. The second stage is the call to adventure. So within the hero's ordinary world, the hero receives some sort of information that changes his situation. There is a call to adventure. Every quest begins with a question. In stage two, the question is given. The question is provided. The hero is prompted by the question to leave his ordinary world and travel to a special world This begins a new stage in his life. The hero, I mean, again, nobody starts out on the quest. The next stage, number three, is the refusal of the call. The hero is going to be like, nope, no, thanks. I don't want to answer the call. I'm turning away from this adventure, this quest. Sure. Normally for reasons of... Fear of the unknown, insecurity. I'm nobody special. Right. Why would I be called to do this?
1: Yeah. Bilbo Baggins in particular has like, because hobbits don't adventure. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a cultural cultural norm for hobbits that they do not adventure. So when he.
0: Why would I be called to do this? Yeah. Now the refusal of the call really is the choice point. You can refuse the call. And the journey ends there. There's nothing to say, like, you have to take the call. How many hero's journeys have never been written? Because the hero is like, nah, no thanks. I'm going to sit at home today. But if the call is answered, which is where we get the hero's journey, step four, meeting with the mentor. Joseph Campbell calls this supernatural aid. So the hero is going to meet the guide or a protector, some kind of magical helper. Often, like Gandalf, a seasoned traveler.
1: Oh, was Ferris Bueller Cameron's mentor? Was Cameron actually the star of that movie?
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah, I would it's, actually. It was his yes. hero's journey. Yeah. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Hero's journeys—it's—it's it's eternal. It's—it's mm-hmm. it, in our DNA. It's every story ever told. Yeah, Cameron was our hero in the hero's journey, with Ferris Bueller being his sure. supernatural aid. Meeting with the mentor, the mentor is going to give the hero some training, some knowledge, some confidence, some advice, the things to help the hero on his journey. Last step of departure. Number five is crossing the threshold into the special world. So this ends the departure step where the hero commits to the quest. I'm leaving my ordinary world and I'm crossing into the adventure, I'm taking on the quest and getting to the special world. The special world is unknown. It's dangerous. There are rules the hero doesn't know. It, it This is unknown. Scary, scary stuff.
1: Yeah, the cantina scene at Mos Eisley is probably the, the gateway in Star Wars. While the
0: mentor will lead the hero to this threshold... The hero has to go through by himself. The mentor isn't going to be there to hold your hand the whole way. The mentor's like, here's the door. Go.
1: Yeah, it was like Gandalf would just sort of pop
0: up at times throughout the hobbit. Yeah. It was,
1: well, there, I was mean, it was a The mentor's going to
0: come back, but you yeah, don't yeah. you don't go with anybody mm-hmm. else. This is an internal sort of thing. Yeah. The threshold obviously has to have a guardian or a gatekeeper. So the hero must prove himself worthy at this point to pass into the special world threshold. Those are the five steps, five-ish steps of departure. Next stage of the hero's journey is initiation. Here we have four steps. Tests, allies, and enemies. Approach the innermost cave. The ordeal and the reward. The first stage of the initiation section of the hero's journey tests allies and enemies. The hero explores this new and unknown world going through tests and trials in an unfamiliar setting. The hero is learning new things, learning new skills, learning the things to prepare him for the ordeal that is going to be his to face, his Mm -hmm. or hers to face quite literally what happened on the millennium falcon this is not the hero succeeds at everything right this is a lot of holy cats i'm failing at everything you get a few minor wins but the hero doesn't know what they're doing at this point he'll encounter some new characters learning to sort out friends from foes his new companions that he meets once he's in this stage will help him with the trials and tribulations that will be upcoming. again,
1: maybe their long-lost sibling. You don't know.
0: Failure is part of this step. It's not supposed to be easy. The next phase in the initiation stage, approaching the innermost cave. Here, the hero is preparing for the major challenge in the special world. Accompanied, helped by his friends facing greater challenges, more difficulty to the obstacles, the challenges get harder. Here the hero is proving themselves worthy of greater challenges, working our way up to whatever that ultimate battle is going to be. Moving us into the ordeal. This is the next phase the hero faces the greatest challenge here in the ordeal in the form of the antagonist. The hero is going to have the knowledge and the skills he's obtained, here her has obtained up until this point, confronting death and or deepest fear. Here within the ordeal, there is either a literal or symbolic death and rebirth. The last stage Of the initiation middle section is the reward. The hero will take possession of the reward or treasure won by facing that greatest challenge, the triumph over the antagonist. The reward treasure is what the hero went on the journey to get. This does not have to classify as something material or tangible. It could be something as well deeper inside. The last phase of the hero's journey is the return. There are three steps in this one. We have the road back. This is where the hero is driven to complete the adventure. They go back to the ordinary world with the reward or treasure attained or won. Oftentimes, going back to the ordinary world can be as dangerous (laughs) as it was to get out of the ordinary world in the first place. Oftentimes, you'll find chase scenes signaling the urgency and danger of the mission. Maybe the defeated antagonist rallies up for a second round. The road back, not easy. Middle phase of the return section is the resurrection Here, the hero is once again tested on the threshold, going back to the ordinary world. Maybe this is brought by rebounding the antagonist. got to conquer him again. Hero will experience a final moment of death and resurrection that's on a higher and more complete level than the previous one. This death and rebirth, literal or symbolic, is the key needed to purify the hero, to get the hero back into the ordinary world. Again, the resurrection may be literal or symbolical, but the hero will wake to a new world and a transformed life because of having taken the journey. The very last phase of the return part of the hero's journey is returning with the elixir, the hero returns home with some element of that reward or treasure that will help the hero improve their ordinary world. Again, this can be a material thing, or it could be some kind of inner self-knowledge. Usually the elixir, the reward or treasure, is meant to help someone else other than the hero. What the hero has gained along the journey will benefit other people beyond himself. Again, across cultures, centuries, and humans of all kinds, the story does completely remain the same with the hero's journey. I just wanted to break down the steps and kind of what we're looking at before we hear in our next segment Andy Bilotti, when we come back for this extra special holiday episode. and we're back i'm so excited to have again with us stacy andy Bellotti from astrology with andy welcome back to trashy divorces our friend
2: hello hello thank you for having me on yet again i feel like a series regular frequent flyer <laughs> <laughs> yes
0: that's exactly right andy for those folks who may not have heard. All of you are awesome yet. Tell everybody what a professional astrologer does. I read birth charts. So
2: we all have our own individual, unique birth chart. And that can be read in two main ways, really. The first one being reading the actual birth chart, which is talking about your strengths, your weaknesses, your blind spots, your emotional makeup, how the family that you grew up in affected you. And the other way to read charts is by looking at the astrological landscape that you will be navigating also known as what does the next year year and a half hold for you now I always do tell my clients I do not predict I forecast so in astrology we're talking about the cycles that you're in because I do believe that the more informed you are about the current astrological path that you're walking through the better choices you're more likely to make
0: Now, I've heard you say this, I always liken it to with the forecasting. Sure, it says it's going to rain today. If you know that, aren't you going to be smart enough to bring an umbrella?
2: Exactly. And that's where the free will aspect comes in, because simply knowing or simply reading a weather forecast does not put the umbrella in your hand. You have to go grab the umbrella and use it. And that's the same concept with astrology. So I always say when we're we're forecasting a year ahead, what I'm talking about is these are the situations that you will come across, but you have free will to decide what you want to do with them and in them.
0: So the hero's journey, the heroine's journey, I've been looking at from a literary framework, from a storytelling point of view. However, you in the work you do have a different way to look at the hero's journey, the heroine's journey as it relates to birth charts. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, because at this point, I've been reading birth charts within the framework of my actual business for almost four years, but I've been reading birth charts for 22 years. And The one thing that always struck me is that there's a lot of parallels between the hero's journey or heroine's journey and what I discuss with my clients in astrology. The idea of setting off on an adventure, undergoing a crisis, claiming some kind of victory, and then becoming a brand new person. So a lot of these archetypes also come up in astrology. And that's why I thought
1: that we could have a really interesting dialogue. I love it. I mean, it makes perfect sense. It, it really, it is a matter of archetypes. It's like, there are just these patterns that the human brain goes to over and over and over again
0: throughout the eons. And well, and there's something so universal about it and, you know, Joseph Campbell did come under a lot of heat from half of our gender. Like, Hey dude, where are the women? Those stories aren't necessarily written, but every single one of us has a hero's journey inside of us, whether we choose to answer that call or not. It all begins with the question.
2: 100%. And one thing that I I love about astrology is that I always say that uh, it reminds me of when I lived in New York, you know, there was a saying that the subway was like the great unifier in many senses, because in New York City, by and large, everybody takes a subway at some point. And I say the same thing about birth charts, you know, birth charts are are a reminder that we all go through very similar things. Now we might go through them at different stages of our life and to varying degrees, but for example, we all go through the first Saturn return. And I can explain that more later, but we all go through the first Saturn return between the age of 27 and a half and 29 and a half. And I think that's one of the great things about astrology that it brings us back to this idea of shared common experiences.
0: I definitely want to unpack that a little bit. I was noticing in some of my birth chart research over some of the people I've profiled that people born within the same set of years often share, I think there are three planets that all go really slow together
2: yes uranus neptune and pluto are actually known in astrology as generational planets for that reason and it's why when i'm doing a birth chart i don't really focus on the sign that pluto was in when you were born because you share that pretty much with an entire generation of people now i will look at what house it's in because that will be unique to you but you're right this is why in astrology we can also look at or we can talk about generations of people and it's why when you notice you know this idea of whether it's the boomers or gen x or millennials or gen z that is spelled out in astrology because they these generations have very unique uranus neptune and pluto sign placements
0: those generational planets mm-hmm. mean something to an an era a generation So Mm -hmm. different than those generational planets, go ahead and unpack Saturn Returns. I know we get a lot of questions about this. I'm always fascinated when I do a story. When was that person's Saturn Returns? The first one, the second one, if we've even had it.
2: Yeah, well, Saturn in astrology is the planet of adulthood. And in fact, astrologically speaking, the idea is that we don't become fully formed adults until our first Saturn return at the earliest it happens at 27 and a half at the latest 29 and a half, and then it repeats every roughly 28 28 and a half years, but in terms of the heroes or heroine's journey, you know, that first Saturn return is basically the first significant test where you're being asked to put everything you've learned to the test. And what happens is that if you've learned already the lessons along the way, you kind of pass the Saturn return with flying colors. And that's why the Saturn return can be Connected to very positive developments that are very meaningful. For example, it could be an engagement, it could be buying a home, it could be a marriage, it could be wrapping up your master's degree, it could be changing your career, changing your profession to what you'll be doing for the next three, four, five decades. Conversely, what can also happen with the Saturn return is that if you haven't really learned the lessons that have been presented to you up until that point, you do kind of crash against a brick wall. So for some people, the Saturn return is a bit of a massive wake up call that they need to make changes in their life. And it's why I often explain, nothing in astrology is inherently good or bad. Some people have very rough Saturn returns. Some people have very rewarding Saturn returns. It all depends on where you are in your respective journey.
0: Yeah, mine was a super big train wreck. I don't know about yours, Stacy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think mine was just getting into <clears throat> corporate writing jobs, and it, it did. It established what I would be doing professionally for
0: decades. So we've talked a little bit about generational planets. We've mentioned Saturn returns, at least in the framework of being kind of a, a big test, a big trial. There are a number of other planets, your personal planets, mm-hmm. that can also be related to the hero heroine's journey.
2: Exactly. And those five, now in astrology, we call everything planets. I know technically they're not, but for ease of use, we call them that. The five personal planets are, or the five personal celestial bodies are the sun, the moon, Mercury, Venus, and Mars. So let me kind of tie these to the journey. Well, the sun represents you, the sun really is the gifts that you have to share with the world. Now, I, I always explain that. For example, if you have the sun in Taurus, that is on a continuum, meaning you could express the more negative, problematic qualities of Taurus, which we don't want, or you could also express the more advanced, refined qualities of Taurus, the gifts, but your sun sign does talk about what are the gifts that you're meant to share with the world in this journey. The moon is about emotions and feelings. So the moon can really point to what are your emotional motivators and what is it that you emotionally need during your journey to feel fulfilled and feel validated and feel seen because some moons, for example, need a lot of companionship. Other moons need to be left alone and be independent. So this is where in some people's journeys, they do better with a buddy or a partner. Other people don't. Mercury is all about your, what you learn, how you communicate. So as you're going through this journey, what is it that you are communicating to others and what kind of information are you most going to feel illuminated by? Venus is about values. So a lot of times, if we think about this journey, Venus is about the values that you're meant to learn along the way. And then Mars is the driving force that propels you forward. So again, some people have a Mars that is very much about emotional intelligence. Other people have a Mars that is much more about physical feats and physical strengths. Other people have a Mars that is very intellectually inquisitive. So when we look at these five things, it gives us a picture of what would the ideal journey look like for you? And what happens a lot of times Is when i have clients who are in their 40s 50s 60s and what i have found is that if you don't fulfill what your chart is asking for that's when you feel very unfulfilled in life so this is also where i often say a birth chart reading can be a bit of a status check of are you on the path that is best for you Or have you, for whatever reason, it's not that you're to blame, but are you, for whatever reason, on a completely different route that's actually not good for you?
0: So taking those personal planets that everyone has, they also are affected by transits that happen, Mm -hmm. right, that interconnect the planets in your birth chart journey
2: exactly so the way to think about it is your birth chart is static and then the planets as we go through the days weeks months years decades of life the planets continue moving around your chart counterclockwise and as they do they occasionally will activate things in your chart so case in point pluto is a planet that relates to crisis transformation metamorphosis so if you are going through a period of time which usually is about two years where pluto is challenging say your sun or your moon that's going to be the part of your journey where you're going into the metaphorical cave
0: mm, interesting. where you're going to
2: be facing darkness where you're going to be faced against the worst parts of yourself with the idea that if you face it head on if you kind of you know slay that dragon you come out the other side, back to the surface, out of the darkness, a much, a a very transformed person. But there's also the danger that if you go through a Pluto transit, you could get stuck in that darkness. And that's where astrology can help you to figure out, hey, this is temporary. I know it can seem eternal. You're one year in, there's another year to go. And here's what would be best for you to do in the next year.
0: Okay, so that was the Pluto transit. Andy, tell us about some other kind of transits that manifest.
2: Yeah, for example, let's talk about Neptune. So Neptune transits, depending on what Neptune is doing, could be beneficial or challenging. But during a challenging Neptune transit, things are not what they seem. So as far as the hero's journey, that can be a very difficult time because it's kind of like you are walking and suddenly there's a mirage in front of you and you think you're walking towards something that looks really amazing only to get there and realize that that thing doesn't exist. So a lot of times when my clients are going through challenging Neptune transits, I encourage them to put off important decisions until the transit ends because there's not a lot of clarity. So a lot of times as we think about this journey, Uh, A Neptune transit would be like suddenly there's some very thick fog that makes it very difficult to know what's ahead. Or Uranus transits, which on the one hand, positive Uranus transits, can be about a stroke of genius and problem solving. But challenging Uranus transits are completely out of the blue, unexpected events. It's why the planet Uranus is the planet that rules both literal and metaphorical earthquakes so as we think about this journey it's also important to recognize that yes you know as uh, joseph campbell and others have mentioned there is the idea of you leave home uh there's some kind of quest there's a reward you come back but what astrology can help us determine is as you're on whatever chapter of your journey you're on what is the climate like you know is it super foggy is it a thunderstorm and you have to pause Case in point, challenging Saturn transits are a time, usually six months to a year, where what we're supposed to do is rest and relax and stop. Because part of the journey, too, is that you can't just always be going, 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 going. Sometimes you have to pause. Sometimes you have to retrace your steps and choose a different path. So that's where astrology, it's kind of like the 30,000 foot view, much like how I remember when I was playing video games back in the Nintendo days, I remember that some games you were um, controlling your character and you could see the map of the world that you were in. And then you would go to this level or that level. But that overhead view is what astrology does in regards to where on your path are you And what are the things that you might be facing? So it's very useful in that sense.
0: Almost like a little cliff notes. Here's a a map. If you choose to use the map, Mm -hmm. this may give you some insight on the journey. It's not gonna solve the journey. It doesn't provide any kind of action into the journey besides giving you a, right? A little bit of a, a handy road guide for things to look out for. Exactly. And the fact that also we can get from a birth
2: chart is what is it that you're supposed to learn during all of this? So case in point, the ascendant. So the ascendant or the rising sign, same thing, can be talked about in two ways. One is the very mainstream way, which is correct, that the ascendant essentially is the vibe that people get from you when they first meet you. But the other way to talk about the ascendant is that It also talks about what are the themes concepts that you have to learn and go out into the world to understand because they're not inherently in your birth chart so for example somebody who has a cancer ascendant what they need to learn is how to be emotionally vulnerable how to lay down roots somewhere how to not physically build a home but how to actually have the concept of home because when you have a cancer ascendant that is not inherently in your chart so you might actually start off being more of a nomad or being more somebody who uh doesn't really like to open up or somebody who says the idea of just settling down somewhere makes me feel stifled but that's exactly what you have to learn so also we can look at things in the chart to pinpoint what is it, what really is the reward of your journey if you choose to accept it?
0: It's all so fascinating. Are there any questions that you have, Stacey, that I'm not thinking of?
1: No, I just, I really enjoy listening to uh, I Andy can listen to Andy, to Andy all day. This stuff. <laughs> Thank you. No, I really do. I, You <clears throat> know, humans in many ways, we are pattern recognition engines and mm. occasionally, you know, getting a resupply of of different patterns to pay attention to is i think a very uh a very smart thing I i don't know we need archetypes so I, that's why we have them
0: but you're a hundred percent right totally and in
2: astrology archetypes are everywhere because we have uh you know saturn as the strict teacher or the coach uranus as the rebel neptune as the artist uh mars as the warrior So archetypes are all over astrology. And I think that's why it resonates so well globally. You know, astrology is something that you can talk about with somebody from whatever culture they're from, and they'll get it. It resonates because these are global archetypes to your point.
0: Andy, thank you so much. That was fascinating. I know a lot of our trash pandas at least domestically, are going to be going through their own hero or heroine's journey, perhaps, this weekend, I mean, going we, home for the holidays. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah,
1: we are all the heroes and heroines of our own journey.
0: I mean, that that's the core of it. And we applaud you on yours, Trash Pandas. Hey, Andy, tell everybody if they want to get more of all the groovy that you do, where people can find you.
2: Yes, Instagram. Astrology with Andy. There's also a podcast, Astrology with Andy. And if you want to book a reading, you can do that by going to my website, astrologywithandy.com and clicking on services. And by the way, I will have my annual four-day Black Friday through Cyber Monday sale Hmm. starting Black Friday the day after Thanksgiving. So that is your one annual chance to buy
0: readings at a discounted price. Holy cats, I'm going to keep that in my back pocket. That is good timing. Mm -hmm. We will add the links for Andy in the show notes. Friends, astrology with Andy, you couldn't have made that easier. Thank you again so much for spending some time with us today, Andy, and unpacking the astrological take of the hero and heroine's journey. It's always such a delight to visit with you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Trash pandas, we want everybody to have the most remarkable holiday season. We're going to be back this weekend with a brand new Trashy Divorces episode. We wish you all the blessings this week of good food and good times. May the trash candy abound. Um, Should we keep our hands clean? And keep our hearts trashy. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you this weekend. Bye. Bye.